0: Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.
1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan... Where love wins. You can find us online at www.doutcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, Ada Grand Rapids, and W237CZ Hudsonville, 1680 AM and 95.3 FM, or streaming live at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, teen pop sensation Justin Cheeber, Hey, everybody. And Dr. Professor
2: Luke Galen. Can we fund a bumper sticker that says science wins, bitch? Or something like, (laughs) (laughs) confrontational like that? Uh, (laughs) With the same font and the same lettering as all the damn love wins. We need to do that. Our listeners who don't live around here might not know this, but we're inundated with love wins bumper stickers. It happened for years. And then refuse to define what we mean by that?
1: Yes, yes. Now, uh, Jeremy VN is still off. He's defending the universe Mm -hmm. as Green Lantern of Sector 2814. Um, But we carry on without him. I thought he was Thor.
2: He smashes (laughs) his little cane against the ground. (laughs)
1: Uh, In this week's episode, uh, we'll talk about our hometown hero, Rob Bell, and his new book. Then we'll take a handbasket across the river Styx into Dante's Inferno and discuss the history of hell as well as its current state of affairs. Then we'll celebrate the wedding of Yahweh before embarking on our props and shit list. And finally, wrapping up with some poly-atheism. But first, Japan. This has been the big news story for the past couple of weeks. Um, remarkably still developing because the nuclear crisis um, doesn't look like it's going to um, be fixed anytime we're, soon. We're still being ever. punished
2: for free will, Dave.
1: <laughs> is that what it is?
2: Because of the original fall of Adam, somehow that leads to yeah. earthquakes and Nuclear accident.
1: Well, and, and and you joke, um, there was a video that showed up on YouTube shortly after the earthquake and tsunami hit Japan of a apparent Christian claiming how this was an answer to prayers, that God had finally done something about all the atheists and grabbed Japan by the shoulders and shook it. And a lot of people got very upset about it, rightfully so, except that... I knew it was... I knew it. It was a parody. <laughs> It was a parody. It was a, a perfect example of Poe's law, right? One of yeah. those parodies that's indistinguishable from actual
0: fundamentalism. I, I was I was falling for it halfway through, and then I'm, you know, after a while, you're just like, uh being an <laughs> empiricist. I almost
2: want to rank like in different columns when I see things on the video of my take on whether it's a real it's one or a real genuine, and, th- and then to really scientifically cross reference it with whether it's valid or not to see if Poe's law is true for me. So uh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, so luckily, that was not true. I, also, I have not noticed anything stupid that um, uh, Pat Robertson has said. You keep waiting yeah, the, uh, I was exp-
0: I was waiting for that.
1: In fact, I googled it to find out what <laughs> stupid thing Pat Robertson had said about Japan, and there was a lot of people speculating who he was going to blame it on. <laughs> yeah, but no actual uh, quote from Pat Robertson. And actually, I went to his website for the what is it? The Seven Hundred Club. And the only references I could find to Japan were actually relief efforts. What, what does it were. say
2: about you when, when after a natural disaster, there's a collective yeah. hush in the country and all heads turn towards him expecting a statement to be made? You know, that's that's his thing. <laughs> that's his shtick <laughs> yeah, now. Well, it, it appears
0: that, you know, nine times after making an idiot of himself, you know, maybe he'll –
2: It's. It,
0: you know, he learns eventually. I cannot right? <laughs> believe that he's
1: actually learned. But anyway, to, well, there to is his a, credit, he hasn't. Right. He hasn't said anything that I've noticed. There,
2: there, um, there are poll data though that that ask like what percentage of people believe that the tsunami is, you know, God's yes. is, is will by God. And you, as you'd imagine, there's, you know. The average American, it's fairly low, but when you when the when you break it up by evangelicals, you do get higher first course. figures where they think that you know again they're locked into a system where if God controls everything, right. He must control that. So, well, well,
1: since we're coming from a mindset that doesn't involve God shaking Japan by the shoulders or anything like that, um, we also aren't going to pray to make things better there. What we can do, and there are a number of, of charities. Obviously, um, one of my favorites is Doctors Without Borders. Um,
2: Medicine sans frontières.
1: Yes, thank you. Also, the Red Cross, um, and a little bit closer to home here, uh, CFI, of which we are um, all all members and fans, has their um, share campaign, which is their their own relief effort. So, if you, she's
2: involved in this too.
1: S-H-A-R-E, not C-H-E-R. Do you believe Um, in the power of (laughs) charity? The
2: power of charity. (laughs) Love wins.
0: So
1: those of you who are interested in donating to um, specifically to secular groups that are doing relief efforts in Japan, the CFI uh, share effort is one of them. Um, There are plenty of others too, but we just want to highlight those. And um, I certainly can't make it to Japan to help out. We were going to
2: fly you there, Dave. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
1: And it's – there's obviously a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, It's pretty impressive how how much cooperation we're seeing in Japan within – just with their own uh, citizens. People are really working together uh, to help out. But the devastation is unprecedented and it could get very much worse if these uh, nuclear reactors –
0: What is the uh, – I hate to ask, but what Mm -hmm. is the count up to now?
2: It's above 10,000
0: dead?
1: That's, they've, oh, they've been predicting all along that, that it was ultimately going to be above 10,000 dead. I don't know how many they've actually recovered. Right. Many, they probably never will recover. You right. Know? A- absolutely devastating, especially in a uh, small nation like that. So please, anything you can do to, to help out with the relief effort, um, please consider doing. But uh, – Let's turn now from the uh, veritable hell on earth that is uh, Japan these days to our very own friend right here in West Michigan, Mr. Rob Bell.
2: It's hell on earth if you're on a Sunday trying to go down the road in Granville and you're in it when the church gets out because you're going to be stuck in traffic for hours, my friend.
1: Behind a lot of love winds bumper stickers. Rob Bell, who we've talked about before on the show, mm-hmm. and I should say this, we didn't try to get an interview with him this time, uh, but we did – we have in the past tried to get an interview with Rob Bell.
2: This is the episode on the Emergent Church. The Emergent Church. Yeah.
1: And that is episode – I'm looking it up right now.
2: Dave, if it's an Emergent Church, the number doesn't matter. What's important <laughs> – the, important thing, is, the important thing, the, the exact <laughs> well, number, the number really Dave, the exact number is not important. You're right. It's uh, what you make of the search for that episode It's your interpretation that of
0: the number, and they're all equally valid.
1: <laughs> and since I can't find it right now, that's where we'll leave it. Um, uh, look for the episode on the Emergent Church where we talked uh, about a lot of the theology behind the Emergent Church. Such as it is.
2: It was a short episode, <laughs> <It was. laughs> and,
1: that, and that's essentially the point we made. Is this is very much a a fluffy theology, right? Um, there's not a lot of substance there. Um, enough substance apparently that Rob Bell can write a book. Um,
2: substance never lack of substance never stopped
1: <laughs>
0: books from becoming yeah, bestsellers. He, or, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was interviewed on. Uh, on MSNBC with uh, Martin Bashir, Yeah, and he actually starts off with, he starts off the interview asking him, you know, either, either God is all powerful and doesn't care about the people of Japan and mm-hmm. their, their suffering, or he does care <clears throat> about the people of Japan, but he's not all powerful. And which is it? And which is, which <laughs> like, is a good question. Right, right. I mean, and, 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 and he goes, I begin with the belief that God, when we shed a tear, God sheds a tear.
1: Well, that's so reassuring. It is. God is God is crying as well.
2: I thought the tsunami was God's tear, well, no, but that's just no. fundamentalist thinking, anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 So, so not really an answer to the question, so much there.
2: He not that didn't stop Bashir from asking the question several times oh, yeah. and yeah. trying to get a clear answer.
1: No, this uh, this interview, and we'll we'll post the link to it, but it. I don't know. Did you think it was overly confrontational? I, I kind of thought so. I, I thought it was a rare instance in the media where people actually trying to get someone to answer a question. Right,
2: uh, right. Like they
1: didn't let him dodge. Yeah. And that's I, did all think
2: his, do. I did think the question was confrontational because he had to repeat it. But then I realized it was because also due to the fact that the question was not being answered.
0: Right. Um, upon s- upon yeah. him not answering the question and just you talking about how God is so sympathetic, he <laughs> Bashir just returns. Well, which is it? Is he – Is he uh, all powerful and, Mm -hmm. you know, just doesn't care or or what's the deal here? Uh, He just asks him again and he goes, I think it's a paradox at the heart. No kidding. Of the divine. Some paradoxes are best left as they are. And so, yeah, he's not answering the question. So basically his answer is hell if I know. I think
2: this is one of those instances where we actually have some sympathy with how fundamentalists feel when they're asking for a clear answer on a lot of his theological questions as well because oh, yeah. they Absolutely. would say your book says that uh, you claim that you're not a unitarian mm-hmm. uh, universalist I mean you know that that everybody right. Right. that everybody is saved a universal salvation which he claims he's clear he's not but the right. book then says that, but then he refuses to say that who goes to hell that goes or there anyone yeah. does or what, uh, what basis and he
0: says that in the end god will win god will get everyone to uh to heaven. Yes. Is, is what he seems to be saying.
1: What it really seems to to imply to me is more of a Heaven Purgatory dichotomy, where right. not everyone goes to heaven right away, eventually he talks about the sins Yeah, there 's a waiting away. room
0: and then there 's heaven, yeah. but <laughs>
1: not so, that purgatory is all all flowers and lollipops but, right you know that they there's keep the a room warm process it 's
2: like wrestling <laughs> in high school they keep it pretty warm in there but it 's not boiling but his <laughs> the, the, what there 's a name for that where the, where they somebody has the belief that the afterlife if you don't make a decision for Christ in this life, you still have a chance in the afterlife to change and modify and have right. your – sort of your – Yeah, that's, that's his then. view
0: essentially, the post-mortem uh, potential for Yeah, for so God, God will give
2: you another chance after you're
0: dead too. Right.
1: And, and Martin Bashir I think actually asked the relevant question Right. That whether I wanted
0: to ask. So yeah, so whether or not your relationship with the divine while you're actually alive, whether that even matters at all. Right. And he says, oh, of course, it's extremely important. But then he's like, in what way? Like, if, yeah. if, if you can, if because after if, you die, you can change. If I
1: cannot have a relationship with Jesus, if I cannot accept G- Jesus in life, live my way, right. my life, however I want to, and die, well, then after I'm dead, then I get this other chance yeah. to go. And this chance that seems to be something that's irresistible grace, to use a, a Calvinist right, idea, right, right. I can't turn it down, yeah. right? Because eventually, oh, it may take a while. Okay. Hitler may be sitting in purgatory for quite some time. And purgatory, I don't think, is a term that, that Bell would use. No. But um, we may be there for quite some time. But eventually, love wins out. Right. So why does it matter how we live our life
0: yeah. before we die? It simply doesn't. It's, it's completely irrelevant. It's not as if it's a a, a test of any sort, as, right. as, as most other you know Catholics or Protestants would, would see it.
1: Right, right. So there's a lot of... There's some real thorny theological issues at work with with Rob Bell here. By the way, did you also see that another pastor was fired because of Rob Bell?
2: Uh
1: Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Because he read Rob Rob Bell's book, which is called Love Wins, and he questions the idea of hell. And the people in his particular church did not appreciate that. Impeached Impeach. And, yeah, basically, I I don't believe he was the head pastor. I believe he was some kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, um, um, supporting uh, pastor. But, uh, yeah, he was let go because of Rob Bell's book. So in the end there, love didn't win.
2: (laughs) Love might – doesn't win your job back. That's
1: for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. I don't
2: think love wins some things is a good bumper sticker.
1: <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, but so Bell mentions that in his, uh, in his justification, clearly he wants to keep the focus on things like love is a central message of Christianity. Let's not worry about hell. And he mentions mm-hmm. that in the uh, New Testament by his count uh, that the hell itself is only mentioned like a dozen times. Right. And so he claims that that's not really a central message of the teachings.
0: Yeah, and looking up uh, the history of hell uh, for for today's episode, I actually went through some cognitive dissonance myself in that I always had this kind of, I guess, naive view that, mm-hmm. that uh, you I know. I don't think
1: it's so much naive as what at least I was taught. Right, right. I mean, which it may be naive to accept it, but it's it's a very well well-supported well-
0: and, and uh, you know, very much it's a very um, common, popular view. Yeah that what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament is a very literal place of eternal torment with fire, fire and, and uh, things. I always thought yeah. that this was a very clear thing and that mm-hmm. you know those people that didn't accept it were were being inconsistent in their reading of the gospel or something right, right. Um, and so when I went in in looking it up I was like oh I, I was for the most part wrong I, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to talk today about uh, the history of hell Okay, so let's uh, let's look at this, this concept of hell uh, and how it's changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Hmm. Uh, because many people probably already know that the Christian cartoonish concept of hell with the pitchforks and the lava flows mm-hmm. uh, and its eternal fiery torment was not always in the Old Testament. And I, I knew that as well, right. it's just that, you know, I, I thought that the at least Jesus had a... A uh, fairly um, clear message on that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Old Testament, uh, it's 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 using the word Sheol, and it gets translated usually to hell, grave, or pit.
1: Right. In fact, I, I believe most often it's um, translated into grave or, right, or right. pit, referencing kind of uh, the tomb, as opposed right. to... Not necessarily
0: like a, an existence, a, a post-mortem existence. That's it's right. kind we're, of like we're a dead state uh, or a yeah, place dead, yeah. of... Yeah. Dead
1: people go to hell, meaning dead people go to the grave. Right. Well, literally the grave, not, not in the metaphoric yeah. sense. Yeah.
0: Um, and there seems to be a lot of ambiguity here, though, w- within the text as to what the word means, because sometimes it does mean grave, and then sometimes it does seem to imply some mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, underworld of, of some sort. Right. And it, so at times it can mean the state of the dead or the the invisible world, uh, but it but it does not seem to imply any kind of eternal mm. torment or a, a lake of fire. It seems much more to be a kind of gloomy state of affairs or or like a state of degradation.
2: Isn't that how Hades was in the Greek uh, world? Well, uh, yeah, world? that's what I was going right. to say.
1: It's very similar to, and, and the picture of Hades develops over time too for the Greeks. But if you look at, right. say, the Iliad, you have um, Odysseus going to Hades, and you know, so he can talk to some of the characters from from. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Iliad. The Odyssey. Um, Odysseus goes to Hades so he can talk to some of the, the characters who showed up in the Iliad, um, and they're until he feeds them blood, which is the the drink of the dead. They're just floating around as these um, creepers. Yeah, but they, they don't they don't really. <laughs> it's not a soul like we think of as you know Grandpa up in heaven, who's essentially still Grandpa. That. Homunculus.
0: Right. It's it's just this. So kind of this vague just like this essence.
1: Very, yes, and until and, they. And drink, everybody goes there, not just the wicked. Exactly. Mm. Everyone goes. Now, over time, in in ancient Greece, we go from this idea of Hades, where everyone goes there, and it's all just floating around as kind of a a, a shade, you know. Right. To certain people get specialized punishments, like Sisyphus, who has to roll the boulder up the hill all the time because he defied the gods. And Tantalus. Tantalus, where we get the word tantalize because he had water up to his neck and fruit above his head. And if he tried to drink, um, the waters recede. If he tried to grab the fruit, it pulled away. He's constantly tantalized.
2: So like your punishment, Dave, would be uh, always trying to log on but never finding a connection for eternity. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that's... Can't get a signal. So, but (laughs) the,
1: the... Earlier idea of Hades for the Greeks is very much like um, one of the earlier ideas of, of the afterlife for the ancient Hebrews. It's not a place of right. suffering. It's just a place where it's meh. You know, that's yeah, I mean, yeah, the best way very, to describe it. Just yeah, it's,
0: it's fairly gloomy and it's just like, you know, you're, you're yeah. dead and there's nothing. It um, sucks,
1: but it's not. You know, it's not, it's a not because spot. you are a
0: bad person. No, uh, and, th- and that's another point to make is that there's not really a distinction between you know your ideal good person and the evil person in terms of of where they actually go when they die. Right, uh, because everyone goes to the same place, and there are even there are actually even passages uh, which imply that hell can be something experienced on this side of death. On hmm. you know while we're actually alive, uh, Psalm eighteen five says the sorrow of hell come past me. Uh, the snares of death prevented me, and this is the psalmist talking, you mm-hmm. know, while while he's writing here. Um, and and like I said, some places make it pretty clear that this concept is not necessarily eternal. Psalm eighty six thirteen says, "For your loving kindness towards me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol." So, right. I mean, at least the the hell that I was brought up with, you don't get delivered from hell. Mm-hmm. It's an eternal thing. You, you you're locked in essentially
1: right but and in some of the some of the reading I've been doing on the subject some of the references in the old testament don't really say anything about the soul it's we're literally talking about the place where bodies are
2: put true right and,
1: and that's it it's not yep. it, it's not an eternal existence it's this idea of um, dust to dust Right. Well, I mean that's
2: – if you read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes yeah. I yes. mean, it's like there's no – any inkling there that there's like – Of
1: course, Ecclesiastes is the, uh, is the book we like,
2: right? Life is meaningless. Yeah, exactly. We go to the same <laughs> – it says we go to the animals and humans share the same fate.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Oh, puppies in heaven. Oh no, no.
2: Just no, okay. Marley and me. But what about the what? Are the the term Gehenna is also used in the New Testament too, isn't it? And that's specifically like a, a, an earthly place outside, literally outside of Jerusalem, where they put the garbage, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, like so poor let's, uh, corpses if they were unburied, you know, or people that didn't have a decent burial.
0: Right. Um, so how, how does this change? You know, when we get to the New Testament, what what kind of terms are used here in the New Testament writings? Uh, we generally have three words translated to hell, Hades, mm-hmm. uh, Tartarus, am I saying that yeah, right? Uh, or Tartarus. Tartarus, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, those are both the Greek words. And then you have you know, Gehenna, like you just said, Luke. Uh, and that's the Greek form of the Hebrew Hanan, as in the Valley of Hanan.
1: Which is uh, literally like a, fu- a fire pit, right. but in a literal Fire pit, right? Like where yeah. they would throw
2: the bodies. The, the trash incinerator, like if you've ever been to Detroit, yeah. they have their own another. Kind of yeah, or the uh, Springfield tire fire, <laughs> <laughs> burning now since 1982. So, so
0: Hades uh, in, in the New Testament is, is in some ways similar to the Old Testament term Sheol, mm-hmm. as in the, sa- the the state or place of the dead, or uh, you know the name of the Greek right. uh, underworld.
1: And then Tartarus is also the Greek underworld, but it's like – it's the sub-basement of the underworld. Okay. Um, Tartarus is not only a place, but it's also a being, one of the, the primordial beings to, to come into existence, who is this monster. Um, and Tartarus is kind of the realm of the monsters.
2: He's the god of tooth decay.
1: Uh, <laughs> <from Akawaka. laughs> and buildup. Um, but he's also – he's he's the father of, of the monsters and it's where um, – a lot of the, you know, the ironic punishment division of Hades is, is in Tartarus. Okay. Um, so that's where it's, it's, it's yeah. the sub-basement of Hades.
0: Yeah, Tartarus in the New Testament actually only occurs once uh, right. in 2 Peter 2.4. Uh, so Gehenna, like you were saying, refers to the Valley of Hanan, which is the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was a place where people, you know, burned their garbage. Uh, and so there was always a fire burning. Uh, and you would throw bodies in there, people who've died in their sin, mm-hmm. as a kind of final insult to the dead. Um, so
1: so people who were... Criminals. Yeah, so unworthy uh, people would get thrown in the fire pit, and then other people would be given burial. Right. Proper burial.
0: Right. Okay. Which, I guess, confuses me. I wonder why Jesus wasn't thrown in there.
2: Because he had well, the legend was Roman, right? The, the legend, well, no, the legend was that 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 then Joseph Arimathea gave him his tomb, right. who was a the rich man. He You'd
0: think they would be like, ah, no, we're throwing him in there. And what, just what people who are crucified <laughs>
2: typically happen is that they left him up there to rot, and then eventually right. the dogs True. and the birds uh, ate him. So they didn't even get t- 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 tossed into a S- fire pit. Right. They, so the they fact that
1: no. that. That uh, Jesus was put into a tomb is significant for, um, you know, his afterlife right. from this perspective. As opposed to being left to rot or being burned, he's donated a tomb by Joseph right.
2: Averman. Uh, or David. they became, Assuming we can trust the <coughs> around, <probably>. here, they, <laughs> exactly. around here, though, you get plasticized and put in the museum as, bo- right. as bodies revealed. Against uh, your uh, will. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> it's
1: a cool exhibit. If it comes to your town, check it out. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it very much.
2: Um, so...
0: The verses that use Gehenna, uh, these actually tend to speak as a as a punishment for wickedness mm-hmm. or misconduct. Uh, for instance, in Matthew 5.22, uh, we read, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, <laughs> shall be guilty before the supreme court. And, uh, and whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell, which... Doesn't Jesus say that?
2: All Wouldn't I know Jesus is that, say, you know, that in my heart <laughs> that th- there is <laughs> no God. I'm pretty said... much that anyway. So. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: so. Jesus is in hell. That's that's awkward.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and uh, in verse 29, you read, uh, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So every time we read about those kinds of uh, those verses that seem to imply hell as a punishment mm-hmm. a kind of lake of fire right these are always the ones used uh, or at least it's it seems as though these are the ones that tend to use gehenna right so it makes sense you know every time he's talking about that you're, you're actually talking about in a metaphorical sense that this trash uh, heap where you know, the the, the the wicked are thrown. After but then they die. at
1: some point this goes from being a literal place to being just metaphor, right? and the the thinking changes so that now when the wicked die, they don't get thrown on this this literal burning trash heap. Right. They go to this metaphoric yeah. place of eternal burning.
0: Yeah. And that's, so people are interpreting it as a kind yeah. of um
1: Well, it's a it's a much later interpretation of the New Testament, where instead of talking about the literal place, there's I I don't know if the cultural memory of this of this place is lost and people go,
0: oh, right.
1: You know, like a fire. It must be metaphor or it's, you know, not metaphor, but we're talking about a. Yeah, eternal afterlife on another plane of existence—that's fire well, the, and suffering.
2: And the, the early Christian fathers also disagreed on this too; that they had a of different course, like origin, yeah. and these they people disagreed they, on everything. So, the, so as with everything else that we talk about, we're left with one one side one essentially, and we're left exactly. with their sort of legacy of the baggage, which what which doesn't reflect the diversity at the time of opinions as to what hell is, and also you know all this stuff that happened through the the Middle Ages and through then Dante's obviously of Milton and Dante's writings. Right. Shaped our modern view to where we sort of project back into the past. That's the way it always has mm-hmm. been. So when Dante gets the tour and you have the different levels and punishments, you know, part of that might reflect the 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 history, but other parts he's taking the ball and running with it, so to speak. Right. Right. But now we have we that sort of uh, has has specified certain parts of hell that we take as being having been present all the time, but it hasn't.
0: Right. And from what I could tell, I mean. You know, hell doesn't even appear to be that big of a deal in early Christianity. It didn't seem to be taken as literally as many do now. Right. You know, like you're saying. Certainly,
1: in Judaism, it's not. I right. Mean, to this day, hell is not as as important to to the Jews as it is right. to the Christians.
0: Right. Yeah, and and I think like around I think it was like around the fifth century or so. Mm-hmm. Um. That's when these ideas started of develop, and then you have Dante's, which was I think in the 1300s mm-hmm. or something. Yep
1: he literally gives
0: us a map of hell. Right, you get visuals yeah. now, you have, right. you know...
2: And Virgil gets you toured around uh, with a... He's like the chargé de fer. Of, right. oh, come
1: on in! Well, and, and even before Dante, there were... Um, I can't think of the artist, but who was doing paintings of hell that had all sorts of these okay. awful punishments. You know, people being raped with spears and that sort of thing. So it's very much... Um, Dante is not making it up whole cloth. He's taking it from the culture around him of hell. Right, But... The, even the the art pre Dante is not biblically based there's no right. no references to that sort of thing
0: so I guess you know let's let's discuss the kind of current views in in, in Eastern Orthodox mm-hmm. uh, the teaching is sometimes viewed that he- heaven and hell aren 't actually two different places right These are just kind of subjective experiences of god 's nature, mm. so depending on uh, your spiritual health, whatever that could possibly mean. Uh, you're either going to experience god as you know as something Love as a front to you right oh, okay. something yeah. as as disgusting or yeah like something that's you know the best possible experience right, ever right. and then of course the pro- the most protestant traditions and and the catholics think of it as as two separate places one where well, that was actually created as a punishment for the devil and for fallen angels and for those who uh aren't who don't have their names written in the book of
2: of light. Right. There's a guy with a black t-shirt saying, "Well, I don't see your name in here." And, Could you look again? Oh, I know what. We he forgot Get to call line. and put it on. Back in the line.
1: I, I love Saint Peter as the bouncer.
2: That is just such a great
1: <laughs> image. I love it. Nah, behind the velvet rope. Come on. You, you, and you in.
2: How come she gets in? What's well, ladies' night?
0: There's <laughs> always ladies' there's night. There's always a heaven. dress code. Ladies heaven. heaven. <laughs> heaven. And then you have universalism, which which we kind of discussed earlier. It's, right. it's kind of saying, you know, that uh, there isn't really a hell; everyone gets mm-hmm. saved eventually. Um, and then we have annihilis- an- annihilationism, right. which says that uh, those people that do not get to go to heaven, mm-hmm. they actually just cease to exist. They're, they don't get tortured forever; they just.
1: I'm okay with that. Yeah, don't that's exist. cool. Heaven yeah. sounds pretty boring. Right. Which so it.
0: so if that's true, yeah. then. Then, you know, of course, uh, Pascal's wager kind of. Yeah, true, because so, I don't have to worry we have about nothing to lose. It's, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. So,
1: good point. Good point. With kind of a, a Christian, pers- an early Christian perspective on the New Testament, the emphasis isn't so much on what happens to you immediately after death as it is. Judgment Day, right? right?
2: Because yeah. since many of them were apocalypticists, they thought that exactly. the end was coming close. So when they're talked about people being – getting what's coming to them, they didn't necessarily refer to when they die yes. in, in about 30 years when they die and then for the rest of forever. And they're talking about That's where we get our lake now. of
1: fire. That's where we get a lot of the, the hell-like, the traditionally hell-like images, which is in that. In that
0: judgment day scenario,
2: yeah, or John the Baptist saying repent and the end is near. He's talking about the end of the world soon. Yes. Not when the person dies. Yes.
0: Right. And actually, in 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 Revelation, it does use Hades as a place of torment for the wicked. Right. And and of course, with anything, there there are a few exceptions. But mm-hmm. I mean, Revelation was was one of the later writings, and so yes. it, it you know it does allow room for this this kind of the, more literal. Interpretation. They barely made it
2: into the canon. Right. To begin with. Exactly. I think that the, uh, clearly what happens is that at that time as well as now, people basically read into their vision of hell what they wanted to be the state of affairs here. Like if you're Dante and you want right. to see traitors to the Italian state get punished, you say that they're yeah. down there in the traitor's yeah. level of hell. And so that was happening at the in the book of Revelation and in the Christian time as well. The early Christian church was they were saying we need a way to scare people who are thinking about – being, you know, uh, heretics and leaving the church. Or
1: Jewish, or yeah. anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
2: so you're going to you're then they detail all these ways in which they're punished. Uh, I was looking up stats, though, on uh, who believes in which types of versions of heaven and afterlife and hell, mm-hmm. and you get, again, it plays out along lines about, you know, conservatives and liberals and evangelicals versus oh, mainline.
1: Oh, you got to get political again. Well, oh, if okay. you think about,
2: okay, so uh, the data I found there, was that Look,
1: there is no connection between li- liberals, conservatives, and differences in thinking, none whatsoever.
2: Well, Interestingly, <laughs> when liberals go to hell, they believe that they're going to see a lot of things like uh, people uh, not recycling their paper. And, <laughs> and oh, man. Like global- N-
0: NPR losing its
2: federal oh, funding. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Blubber. And the, the polar ice
0: caps melting. Yeah, right. So if you look at
2: the figures, it's interesting. The, the figures are that 50- 60% of Americans believe in hell. But when you break it down by, by things like denomination, mm-hmm. it plays along obvious lines, like Catholics are about... Uh, along that level, but then mainline Protestants, it's lower, like in the mid 50s, believe in hell. Clearly, unaffiliateds mm. are down there in the 30 percent, and then right. evangelicals or historically black, about 80 percent believe in hell. Wow. But when you look at uh beliefs of heaven, it every overall there's an increase. So like 74 percent of Americans believe in a form of heaven. Yes. 77 percent of of mainline and 90 percent of evangelicals and blacks. So clearly, if you do the math, that's a gap there of around. Fifteen points. So there are there is a substantial number of Christians mm-hmm. who believe that there is a heaven but not a hell.
0: So, yeah, universalists or annihilationists. Yeah, they're, they're not just the uh, <laughs> they're not maybe just, just those. They haven't thought about it too much.
2: And uh, and there's an age gap too. And this is something that, that's counterintuitive. I was surprised that that it's actually more the belief in hell is more prevalent among the young. Really? Yes. Yeah, so people I, above, is, that, above
1: that really astonishing to yeah. me.
2: 18 through 29-year-olds, you get about 70 percent of Americans believe in hell. So the, the,
1: As in like hell is other people like Sartre?
2: Or the losing their internet connection. <laughs> Whereas above 30, only about half believe in hell. Now, maybe that's not oh, so surprising because well. – If you get older, you're like, hey, I'm I'm headed there sooner than the young people. That's
1: a good point. Yeah, of course.
2: But that's sort of counterintuitive from what we were talking about before about the people, young people becoming less religious. But you could see that you know, Rob Bell is certainly trying back to him. He certainly has a demographic that he's targeting with people with a love wins type crowd that they don't want to be bummed out by a lot of negative messages. Mm -hmm. And so actually, I'm going to take the unusual stance here of agreeing with some of Bell's uh, rationale for why he's focusing on what he's focusing on. Oh, Luke. I know. I'm shocked myself. you just amending
0: the gospel. In, 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 <laughs> in his interview – it palatable uh, he, for t- contemporary
2: America. Bell says this. Now, here's a quote from Bell. He says that if a believer has their eyes on heaven, they can miss the opportunities to bring people a taste of heaven here on earth, and they can miss seeing the hell around them. Greed, injustice, sex trade, uh, we see hell all around us. So whenever people reject what is good and human and right and peaceful and all that. And so he says, I focus on this world right now. Uh, It's the nature of love. And when you die, I would assume the nature of love, you can continue to make those types of choices. But the here and now is more important. Now, actually, I uh, think that that technically from a pastoral standpoint, which he always emphasizes, he's not a theologian, he's a pastor, that's technically correct. Hmm. That is to d- the degree to which people focus on what happens in the afterlife is inversely related to a lot of indications of how well they live their life here.
1: Right,
2: right. And so the, the, there's like actual studies that I was looking at that, that showed that when you do, for example, there's studies that show when you look at the different types of religious views, like how important God is to you, do you want to go to heaven, mm-hmm. and then what uh, people call horizontal type faith, that is serving your fellow man, compassion, as opposed to the vertical faith of afterlife stuff. Right. right. That those things come out not only. Randomly related, that is to somebody's belief in afterlife and heaven doesn't really say that much about whether they're compassionate but in some cases negatively related, meaning that to the degree to which somebody focuses on salvation issues, they're less likely – to be focused on here and now compassion issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's, this actually goes all the way back in psychology. There's a, there was an important study back in the 60s by a guy named Rokic, who, after the assassination of Martin Luther King, he handed out a bunch of questionnaires to Christians in the United States. And what he found was that when he divided out people who were focused on salvation things, they were less likely to support civil rights, social justice, right. compassion for the poor. And so this is actually – you know, to people like us, it's probably not surprising. But I think that there's at least an empirical basis that to whatever degree somebody's religion, whatever that is, focuses them on things like am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? What's my relationship with God? That, that takes them away from actually focusing on things that are here now. Right,
0: I think we can all agree that you know, all incoherencies aside, right. he's probably doing uh, a, a good thing. In, in the sense of, you know, what he's encouraging, you know, the, the, the things that Mars Hill does in the community yes. and abroad are are generally good things.
1: Yes, there, there, there is a it, less so on traditional missionary work of let's go out and save the heathens.
0: Right, they're out there actually doing work. To actual, work.
1: yeah. Yeah, and as much crap as we give them about, you know, the fact that their theology is crap, they actually – I'm for – Given the choice between Rob Bell Christians and Fred Phelps Christians, oh yeah, I'm all for Rob Bell Christians, you know, because they're actually doing good work, and by by keeping the focus on creating heaven here, that's definitely something yeah. that yeah. that I could agree with.
2: The thing that irritates I think people like uh, uh, that think like us though is, is that they try to make the argument on theological grounds, which yes. often you know biblical passages, but sometimes they, they do say nasty things that don't support that position. And I think theologically, the fundamentalists are correct. He doesn't really have a lot of basis for his position. So yeah. then the argument devolves into, well, this passage says this, but this passage says that. Whereas as an atheist, <laughs> uh, I'm saying, exactly. you know, if, if so many, who cares? Uh, you know, if <laughs> right. you know, what, you're debating the wrong thing. Yeah. Exactly. Who cares what Jesus says about serving the poor? It's something that should be a goal outside of any type of text. Exactly.
1: Can't you just remove Jesus from the equation all together and say, this is the right thing to do. Let's do this as opposed to, you know, it's because this is what Jesus really wanted. That's the frustrating part. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and so I think, I think I don't fault him for his uh, good works, but what I fault him for again is this that that if you have people motivated by, I'm doing this because Jesus says so or because I'm securing mm-hmm. my place in the afterlife, right. that's misleading. Right. And and uh, it, it, it takes people away from their the, the actual, it, what they should be focused on. Yeah, it on.
0: kind of demeans the whole uh, you know, the whole reason for you going out and doing something, you know, are you doing it for your fellow man or are you doing it for, uh, you know, reasons that you think that will get you to a... Of
1: course, according to Rob Bell, you're getting, we're all getting to heaven eventually anyway, right? Or at least, I, maybe that's mischaracterizing Rob Bell's theology.
0: I don't think he, he knows what he believes Well, yeah, I, I... So I don't <laughs> you're think you're <laughs> in too much danger.
1: I just think <laughs> his point is he's not willing to say anyone is going to hell. Right. Um... I think he prefers a, a, a worldview where no one goes to hell, even if he can't justify it theologically with right. his, uh, you know, with his sacred texts.
2: Yeah, and, but, the, and the other thing that his opponents and the, the fundamentalists and the more evangelical people that I think that they they need. The reason that they favor this view, traditional view of hell, is because they view that as being the stick instead of the carrot. So if Rob Bell prefers carrots, they think that why should someone behave? Human nature is just damaged, and people won't behave unless there's some sort of threat of punishment. You know, which again, as I've talked about in previous episodes, that's an empirical statement, Mm -hmm. and you know that's that's uh, it's falsifiable. But you don't need a threat of punishment to get people to behave, but in their worldview that makes perfect sense that if you would remove that's why they're threatened by his theology if you remove this sense of if i don't convert to christianity or do the traditional things then hey i won't there's no hell i won't get punished For, from their worldview that is a uh, a flaw mm-hmm. if and in fact if i was a conservative evangelical and i saw people behaving like Atheists, for example, that weren't afraid of hell, right. that throws a whole monkey wrench into that entire worldview. Why would somebody be good if they weren't doing it out of a threat of?
1: Well, luckily, atheists never do anything morally correct because why would they? Thank you. So, you thank
0: know. you. Yeah, I was- we don't have to
1: worry about that cognitive dissonance.
0: <laughs> I was actually talking to uh, Greg Kokel, a Christian apologist, mm-hmm. yesterday, and we were talking about this whole Rob Bell thing, and yeah. he was saying, I mean, his view is that, you know. Someone in an authority figure like that, who who is in charge of you know spreading the gospel,
1: right? Uh, and and has has a church of what ten thousand people? Right,
0: right. I mean, he's 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 making claims. He's making theological claims, mm-hmm. but then when he's pressed on them, he's saying, "I'm not a theologian." Right, right, right? exactly. And he, you know, he's saying, of course, that that's you know. Given their premises, that's extremely uh, you know it's it's very irresponsible mm-hmm. um, if you're if you're talking about things about eternity.
1: You don't have to worry about hell, but hey, don't take my word for it. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. right. Like yeah,
0: I point. deal with real people. Don't don't ask me too
2: much questions. Right, right. Well, maybe someday when this all blows by, we can uh, over we could get him onto the show and and uh, try to nail him down. And...
1: I don't. He's doing a lot of media these days. So we might be able to get him on the show.
2: Are we big enough to get him?
1: I doubt it. I doubt it.
2: Because right now, listeners, you can't see this, but we're actually in Mom's basement.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. yeah and Do you he th- want me
0: to bring you down
2: some cool <laughs> no, no, Mom. We're recording.
1: <laughs> if he thought Martin Bashir was uh, throwing tough questions at him, um, I can't. Bring him into this. the studio <laughs> yeah. and we'll interview
2: him in our underwear. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what? Because we're in Mom's basement. Oh, oh. You guys don't hang out in you're, the underwear at... Uh, you're, you're carrying that thread. okay?
1: Um,
0: <laughs> Next.
1: <laughs> now, now in, in our discussion of hell, we were talking about how kind of the um, current idea of hell, or current ideas of hell, are the result of the one theology that eventually won out. The proto, right?
0: Proto-Orthodox.
1: proto-orthodox. Yeah, because we've got an whole, when we talk about the ancient Hebrews, or even the early Christians, we can't think of them as one monolithic system, right? They, they very much had different ideas. And the one tradition we have is the one that, you know, survival of the fittest. And that ties in, I think, with another thing that came up in the news recently involving early Hebrew religion. And that's this um, article I read it in the Daily Mail, but I believe um, our, our listeners in the UK have told us the Daily Mail is not a very good source. So then I also found it other places, um, such as Discovery News, about this noted atheist scientist who is releasing a book about, or an article about, Ashira.
2: By the name, her name is Dr. Francesca Stavropapalou.
1: Thank you for trying that, because I wasn't <laughs> going to, to risk it. Um, yeah, and she is... It's Greek to me. <laughs> um, she's releasing a, a study about um, Ashira, who she believes is the traditional wife of Yahweh, the female counterpart to the god Yahweh. Like Zeus and Hera? Like Zeus and Hera, like Odin and Frigg. And, of course, the most notable thing about this is this is nothing new. Okay? She's releasing this article and it's making the news, but the idea of Shira as Yahweh's wife has been around for, for quite some
2: time. Right. A lot of these findings don't make their way into the general public, though, so maybe the public is not aware of the, right, exactly. the debates within the right. you know, archaeology. But because
0: it's an atheist coming out with it, it's going to be dismissed, right?
2: Well, of course, and and
1: in... in uh, one of the articles, I think it's the one on, on Discovery.com, where a theologian said, well, all of her assertions could be easily explained away and then didn't do it. <laughs> Which is always my favorite. Maybe like, they
0: edited it out.
1: Maybe they did. You're right. Maybe they did.
0: Just like the wife. Yes.
1: Well, and and the assertion is essentially that the the compilers of the, the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament omitted all of the stuff about right. – Ashura, except not the negative them. references, for, except they missed a couple, right? right. They, they didn't do a very good job of editing her out. She has found, um, and people before her have found, that in the temple in Jerusalem, along with um, worship of Yahweh, there was clearly also worship of this goddess,
0: right. um,
1: Ashura, And there's um, a particular engraving... Um, depicting Yahweh and his Ashura, which is uh, why we take it to be his wife, Asherah. Now, A- Ashura also has roots to other god- goddesses of the area, um, including the wife of El and Baal, the uh, um, Akkadian gods, who... Are also and also possible connections to Ishtar slash Inanna, other Mesopotamian goddesses who fill a a similar role, fertility goddesses. So,
0: So, so maybe when he was resting on the seventh day. Yeah, I think maybe she was still like keeping. She was doing fams. work,
1: yeah, yeah. Robert Price on his podcast, um, The Bible Geek, which if you don't listen to, you you probably should. It's uh, he covers a ton of information in it. Um, he did one back in December where he talked about um, the role of Ashura and um, how for the ancient Hebrews there was no idea of there being only one God. Right. In fact, the idea of a monotheistic system would was a have been, very
0: late development. In oh, Judaism. yeah, it would have been
1: absurd for the ancient to to imagine that the ancient Hebrews had a monotheistic culture. In fact, the earliest monotheistic attempt, because it ultimately failed, was in Egypt um, with the god Aten, the for, the Akhen- sun disk from mm. Akhenaten, who. Uh, um, when he became pharaoh, he said, let's get rid of all the other gods and just this one god. And by the way, he and his wife were still also kind of gods. So even calling that monotheistic is a bit of a stretch.
2: With funny-shaped bodies if you look at the pictures. Yeah, yeah. very much so. And no <laughs> reference to perspective. Um, <laughs> but So when, when, so when then they used the word Yahweh to refer to God, they weren't saying that he was the only one. It was just that he was their tribal god. It was a, the one that they liked. It is a henotheistic Their covenant culture. was with him.
1: Yes, which is um, a term actually that I believe I learned from Jeremy when he first used it on the show a couple of years back. Henotheism is – it's like a polytheistic culture. There is acknowledgment that many gods exist.
0: But there's one ultimate kind of – is that what you're saying? No,
1: not even one ultimate. The the example I use when when I explain this to my class is say you're a fan of baseball, Okay. You like baseball, and there are many baseball teams. And sometimes you just go to a baseball game because you like baseball. It doesn't matter who's playing. That's polytheism, okay? Right. There are a lot of baseball teams. You like them all to varying degrees. Henotheism is the Detroit Tigers are my team. There are other teams in other cities, but I don't care about them. Okay. The Detroit Tigers are my team. They're the ones I'm rooting for. They're the ones... Um, to extend this to a god who's looking out for me specifically.
2: So years from now, after okay. the ice sheet is scraped away Detroit and they excavate it again, our ancestors will find foam fingers that say tigers are number one. And exactly. they'll interpret that as by saying there was only one tigers right, <laughs> right, in right. the world.
1: Well, and that's and that's important. That number one idea I think is exactly right. We even see that in the Ten Commandments. Sure.
2: Where, you wouldn't right. need to say don't worship other gods if you only believe well, there was one. No other gods before me. It yeah, doesn't even say,
1: yeah. don't acknowledge other gods. It says, don't acknowledge other gods before
2: me. Or have contests I'm number one. between the Baal priest and the other exactly. priest. Why would you need to have a contest if you didn't even think that the other god existed? Yes,
1: yes. There There is very much in the Old Testament an acknowledgement that there are other gods. Now, the editors tried to sweep this under the rug a bit. But for the for the ancient Hebrews, it didn't matter if other cultures had other gods who were just as real because they weren't the ones that they had the covenant with. Now, Ashura was a Hebrew goddess, um, we believe. Okay, I guess I can't speak definitively here. But what happens here, as it does in many cultures, is a lot of times when they are goddess-worshipping cultures or cultures where goddesses are, are more prevalent, as the society gradually becomes more patriarchal, they push the female goddesses to the side. We get in the Enuma Elish. We have uh, Tiamat, who is the you know the, the mother of the gods, grandmother of Marduk, who eventually becomes the god, gets slain as this evil dragon creature by Marduk, um, and that's quite possibly an allegory for the killing off or at least mitigating of an earlier earth goddess worshipping culture. Hmm. You see it in the Norse. You see it in the Celts. Um, it comes up again and again where these earlier, more earthy cultures get overtaken by these more masculine, warlike cultures. Right. Um, and that's probably part of, of what happened to Ashura is that as the Jews were in exile in Babylon and they became much more reliant on this idea of themselves as a monotheistic culture – And I wouldn't even call them monotheistic yet. I'd say more strongly henotheistic, where they're like, just the one, just Yahweh. He's our guy. And of course, he's a guy. Um, They start to get rid of Asherah. In the Old Testament, though, with the catalog of kings, you can see the kings who erected um, poles and trees because Asherah is equal to... The pole or Asherah tree that was used to represent her. Just like with all the Mesopotamian gods who were the idols themselves, right? It's like when they, when Moses comes down from the mountain and they have the golden calf. That's not a statue to a god. That is the god himself. Okay. So this Asherah pole. And if you read through Kings and Chronicles, which chronicles the, the reigns of the kings, some of the kings in state the Ashura um, in the uh, um, in the palace and some of them take it out. If you add it up, two thirds of the time they're worshipping Ashura. It's only one third of the time. That's a lot of wife.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. A lot tends of female gods. and guys, other gods too. They're viewed as being more accessible. You know, like the, exactly. you see, like the Catholic Church's elevation of Mary in the in the Middle Ages is right. because right. people didn't have a female counterpart. Right. That they thought that they could do things like appeal to or intercede yes. for them.
1: Well, and 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 kind of uh, pigging back, backing off the idea of Isis from Egypt, who mm-hmm. is a very accessible female god. By the way, also wears blue, which is why Mary is often depicted wearing blue. They pulled that right from the Egyptians who, or from the Romans who got it from the Egyptians. There's a lot of history here for the ancient Hebrews, a lot more to the picture than just this monotheistic god of creation that they've worshipped for thousands of years. And
2: one wonders what the rules would have been like if they would have – kept a female counterpart yeah. there if they wouldn't have been as harsh on women in the
0: maybe they wouldn't have been treated as property you know yeah well <laughs> I
1: don't know that I'd go that
2: far um, it's almost like God thinks like them <laughs> that's right just a, just a plug there
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot there there's a lot there that I I think people don't know about now obviously modern Jews don't worship Ashura she's not part of their pantheon of one so interesting stuff and I um, I'm interested to, to see if there are actual Christian explanations for this as opposed to just saying, well, that can easily be explained away.
0: Yeah, did you, did well, you find
2: any? Or no? I,
1: I haven't. She's, I haven't.
2: Because she's an atheist.
1: Well, it, I guess that's not entirely true. I have seen explanations previous to this article of people saying, you know, that's not true.
0: That's that's, <laughs> right.
1: that's just the, the Akkadian gods who are, you know, rearing their ugly heads it's, in it's the biblical the text.
0: Or it's the uh it's the Israelites, you know, uh falling falling to the
1: exactly, it's them worshiping the false gods, gods
0: yeah. just
1: like they did with with the golden calf and that sort of thing. So it's not actually a part of our religious tradition. It's part of it's an example of when they went astray.
0: Right, right.
1: When the truth is actually probably that monotheistic thing is is a break from the actual earlier tradition. So. So, on our props list today, uh, a new study that was reported at the American Physical Society meeting in Dallas um, just recently suggests that in nine countries, we may be winning. We, as the non-religious portion uh, of society, may be winning and that religion may become extinct in nine different nations, including our own neighbors to the north, Canada.
0: Well, we knew that
1: already. Well, of course. <laughs> the
0: yeah, the, the team took census data stretching back about a century uh, from countries uh, which the census queried uh, religious affiliation. Um, these are Australia, a- Austria, Canada, the Czech Republic, Finland, Ireland, and, ne- and the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh so they've they've noticed an overall trend of uh, you know of um, people the, the non-affiliated
2: increasing over time. So
1: to the extent that that we're approaching a tipping point,
2: right? right? So basically, they did what if you look at the the graphs that they've published, it looks like one of those log curves where things pick up speed over time, and 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 the, you know the, as it goes. To, the trend becomes more and more and the the slope becomes steeper and steeper mm-hmm. meaning that uh, meaning that the process is not only linearly gaining more it's unaffiliated people it's going exponentially, exponentially growing and so they they made the analogy of like a language that's uh, languages that right. die out that fewer and fewer people speak and then it, it
0: reaches it tipping less points.
2: Useful as a language. Right? Yeah, and so you know these study we we knew these countries were fairly low with godlessness or I guess high rate of godlessness already right. low with belief but that that this one argues that that will become not only you know that that will essentially become normative and then. A strong majority, and that mm-hmm. belief will, you know, die. die yeah, out.
1: I, I think the term extinction is overselling it, don't you?
2: Right, right. Well, that's the earth. See, my uh, the thing with this, and most uh, I've seen some critiques of this study too that point out this this thing, and that is that this all assumes that no other conditions will come into right. play. just right. if this
1: trend continues exactly. As it has so been, so like any change,
2: you yeah. can imagine things like changes in immigration, uh, right. some sort of social event, or whatever might might cause that thing to might might cause that trend to change mm-hmm. over
0: time. Right, it's saying that uh, you know these social groups that have more members are going to be more attractive to join overall.
1: Right, uh, that, so, that
0: these are going to have some kind of status, and in, in a sense, like these non-affiliated are yeah. going to kind of gain some kind of cultural familiarity. Which
1: I think is is in keeping with a lot of the stuff we've talked about before on the show, Luke, where one of the things that that um, makes non-religious people um, lower levels of happiness and that sort of thing is because of that um, social structure right. that, that religious people get that we often do not. Now, as there are more and more non-religious people, that social structure becomes um, less and less of a, a factor
2: against us. Yep. Yeah. The... Uh However, we also have talked on the show about things like birth rate, which would work against this trend. And that right. is, secular right. people in secular countries have crashed we ain't in making regards to like babies. Well, and
1: I'm not speaking personally because I got five. So
2: everyone knows you're doing your part, Dave. There's only so much that Chris can do with this. <laughs> That's right. But, but the, I'm uh, trying my best. <laughs> I think most atheist men, if you go to any convention, are right. trying desperately to increase the birth rate. That's right. Uh, but the. Um, it's like the comic book guy that says, you know, I believe that we should all mate more than once every seven years, which for some of us is much less and others much, much more. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, but the birth, for example, immigration, uh, often immigrants are higher in religious Uh, beliefs and conservatism, if you look at Europe, for example, like in Germany or some of these countries, they have a lot of Turkish or Southern European that are higher in religious and their birth rate is higher. Yeah, just
1: wait till the Americans start heading back to Europe and uh, they'll really... The
2: only reason that, that American actually, the population in many cases is growing is because of immigration and that tends to be Hispanic who have higher, more children per family. Right. And so Catholicism, mm-hmm. if it, it was right. just like Catholicism, like in the Northeast, traditionally their stronghold was Boston and New York. Those numbers are crashing. Mm-hmm. The center of gravity for Catholicism is moving into the South and West right. because of immigration. So right. th- that was just an example where the trend is for many people, you know, that that if you have a high enough birth rate, you can stand to lose a few members if you're like some of these, uh, exactly. Groups like Mormons or Jehovah's Witness, where they have six, seven kids per family, sure, if a, if a few of them become apostates, no sweat because you're producing more than the guy next door who's the atheist who has like 1.2 babies.
1: Right. Connecting to that study, we have another study that I think also deserves some props. And not the study itself, of course, but the findings of the study deserve props.
2: This is – yeah, this, this is by a researcher named Gervais, which I find amusing, uh, but not Ricky. <laughs> it's not Ricky? Of no.
0: the University of, uh, of British Columbia. He points out that uh, – Godless in, Canadians.
2: Right, right. Go.
0: In most cases, the larger the group gets, the more prejudice there is against them. And so, I mean, you know, because it, it's kind of, you know, scary, you know, as, as the, the other group – increases in their population, it's more scary, but with, uh, with atheists, mm-hmm. that's not the case.
2: Yeah. So if you think of most in social psychology, most like you mentioned, group prejudice is that people get f- freaked out by minorities that are growing. So this would explain, mm-hmm. for example, why ethnic whites were worried when blacks migrated north during World War II because it was sure. competing for jobs. And But in this case, what, what he found through a series of different studies is that uh, that the perception that there are more atheists than what the person thought actually decreases – the prejudice against athe- when you find, uh, atheists
1: well and that's it's like homosexuality where you can't necessarily readily identify someone like you could by race and go oh that guy's black right yes. i don't like him therefore all black people are bad this way you can go, oh, you know, this guy's my best friend. What? You're an atheist? Yep. Or what? You're gay? Yeah.
2: In fact, he mentioned specifically the inconspicuous aspect. It's not like race. Exactly. The atheists tend to be something that's inconspicuous because you wouldn't know it from looking at the person. Right. It's inconspicuous and then also assumed to be rare. Mm-hmm. But right. if those things are but if you Say that the inconspicuous atheist who wasn't really a harm to you mm. is not as rare as you thought it was. Then, then certain indices – he doesn't say that they're loved or thought to be moral because they still are not. not. No, no. But no. the person is trusted – the atheists are trusted more when they are believed to be more prevalent.
0: Right. So those of you who are atheists and are secret about it, you you need to – you need to do something about that.
2: Yeah. This, yeah. The obvious implication here You're is right. that some of the efforts to be more high profile, you know, wearing an A on coming out day or things like coming that. Coming out week, right.
0: which
1: we just closed out actually. Yeah.
2: Right. Those things are likely to bear fruit in regards to what we just mentioned that right. uh, th- the people you know are atheists. Because even
0: if the numbers of atheists aren't increasing, which we know is not the case. Right.
2: It is uh, increasing.
0: Even, yeah. I mean yeah. even if that wasn't the case. Is as, as long as we can have, as long as we can be perceived as increasing. That's that's what's important. Well, because
1: people don't. A lot of times, people don't know we're even there. Right. So, you know, as soon as we make ourselves known, this is great because this study says they're not going. To, and and of course, this doesn't speak to everyone. But we can't. We shouldn't assume that people are going to hate and fear us if we come out as atheists. Right. But in fact, the more people who do come out as atheists. The more likely society as a whole is to not exactly fear and hate
2: us. Yeah, I have an anecdote. One of my students did an alternative spring break where she went to build like a, <laughs> work at a soup kitchen in a met, like Metro DC area, and she's godless. And uh, the person who was doing working with all these groups of you know uh, doing the charity work decided to do a little God speech about how we all do this really for the Lord, and uh-huh. and she was irked by that and but held her tongue and just sort of sat there through the prayer. But then afterwards she it came uh, became obvious to her that one of the other guys in the group was like this was BS man. You know, we're here to right. do charity work and they sort of had a moment and I thought, "Boy, it would have been at the moment or whatever that'd, that'd an appropriate time, time, time if they would have said, you know, that's nice but uh, we're not doing it that's for that." Not I'm here. That's not why That's not why we're here. Right.
0: That's that's wonderful. Well. Wow. Yeah, which is uh I mean, you know, not, now that we have those those billboards popping yeah. up all around the country. I mean, those are that's 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 i think a really good thing for us to be yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, you know, creating that perception that we are uh, growing, which indeed we are, but right. making it making it more obvious to the general public who maybe uh, you know, isn't isn't on the internet but they be, as much?
2: <laughs> you have to be carefully worded because, as you know, if you say – if you're an atheist you're not alone, it's a direct frontal assault on – Oh, yeah, right. yeah. yeah on yeah.
1: Catholicism. Oh, yeah. If, if, Bill on. Donahue will write you an if angry The quotes letter. of
2: some of the Christians they show in those news segments, they usually it's the guy with the microphone saying, so what do you think about the billboard? I think it's awful. They're attacking Christians with that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of people who are actually under attack um, – Wow. Yeah. We have – I think this has got to go on the shit list.
2: I it start here's one item that starts off props, yep. but quickly turns into the, the most road depressing to t- thing ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, this article from um, from CNN's uh, belief blog. Headline is UK cleric leaves mosque over evolution. You go, guy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or you went
1: <laughs> right. It starts off, and, and we have this. Um, Cleric uh, Usama Hassan has led Friday Prayers at Leighton Mosque in East London for 20 years. Now, not so much because he has um, decided to, what, embrace the idea of evolution. He's right. accepted evolution. Actually a brief period. From,
0: yes. the, from the pulpit.
1: Briefly accepted evolution and um, was kind of forced out as a result because he he claimed that, yes, in fact, there is evidence for evolution and that doesn't necessarily uh, mean God doesn't exist. Yeah, it does. But anyway. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and his group reacted how?
1: His uh, community has responded um, not very happily and uh, have included the seeking fatwas against him. And clerics overseas have denounced his support for evolution. And uh, he claims at least uh, to declare a death sentence on him. Hmm. Yeah, uh, those Muslims take, taking opposition in stride once again. It's almost
2: like the Scoops trial.
1: Yeah, very, very much so.
2: Except if you were Clarence Darrow, you probably won't get. Well, he, he could have got lynched, I guess he didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, luckily not. But you know, good for him for standing up for the evidence right. and saying, "Hey, you know what?
0: This and evolution as, is a fact." It's not as if he didn't know that it was going to be a problem when he well, brought course. it up. So that was a really, uh, you know, that's a really. Bold move to be doing.
1: Very brave thing to do. And then in a Galilean move, he uh he has rescinded his support of evolution. Boo. Yeah, and okay. To but in be all, fair, exactly. <laughs> I get where planets. he's coming from, I, as as I do with Galileo. Yes, Galileo said, "Okay, fine, I won't say anything. Did I more say about- I
2: saw objects move in a telescope? I must have. I must be mistaken. Really <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. Because you know, I mean, it's that or or death. But it's uh, the tragic it, thing is that that's the option: is either yeah. uh, recant from um, acceptance of evolution or get
0: death threats. So, So, of course, it's understandable. It's just really depressing.
1: It's very depressing, (laughs) yes. All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's turn now to some polyatheism. We spent a lot of time in this episode talking about hell, but now I want to switch gears and talk about hell. That's H-E, single hockey stick. Mm. Uh, yes. Hel is the Norse goddess of the dead and ruler of Helheim, the land of the dead. For those of you wondering, yes, H-E, double hockey sticks, is derived from H-E, single hockey stick, which is an old ner- Norse word derived from the Proto-Germanic term meaning to cover up or hide, which in turn comes from the Proto-Indo-European word kel, meaning to conceal. So conceptually you can see the connections to Sheol here, where it's the, the burial okay, place. Right. Not so much this necessarily this eternal punishment, but a place of burial, a place where okay, where bodies
2: are are covered and buried. So then what's the etymology of hell's yeah with a Z? <laughs> <laughs> Is that does have cognates in in
1: a fine question oh, though? Hells yeah. <laughs> uh, Along with her brothers Fenrir, the Great Wolf, and Jormungand, the Midgar Serpent, Hel is the daughter of Loki and a giantess. Hel is generally depicted as a fairly normal-looking young woman from the belly up, uh, but her legs and special lady parts are that of a corpse, dead Ooh. and rotting. So that's she's a, like the opposite of a butterface, whatever that would be. <laughs> uh <laughs>
0: That's kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> and of
1: course, the, uh, the idea is that she's she's barren, that only dead things. <laughs> a lesson yeah. to you computer daters
2: out there the, sho- the shoulder up pictures, or even in this case, I guess the waist up pictures, are still not good enough. Not always. Always good meet enough. face to face. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs>
2: Before you commit.
1: Uh, when Odin discovers this monstrous brood, he casts hell to the appropriately named land of Helheim. Hellheim is far from the modern fiery, pokey things and ironic punishments of Christian hell, as was, of course, the Hebrew hell. For those northern Europeans, death isn't so much fiery as it is freezing. So hell is not... Have you ever been to Finland? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Helheim is uh, an awful lot like the earlier Greek concept of Hades, which we talked about, where it's bleak and gray, not really a place of suffering, but also not really a place you'd want to spend an eternity, kind of like West Michigan in winter. You know, right. <laughs> uh, it's generally located near the base of Yggdrasil, the world tree, which contains all nine worlds, very near or even inside Niflheim, which is the land of ice populated by the frost giants. By the way, the easy way to remember that Niflheim is the land of ice is because it sounds like Sniflheim. which is what you do if you have a cold. Now, yeah, it's stupid. You're shaking your head, (laughs) Luke. But I bet after hearing this, you're one of the only kids on your block able to recall the frozen world in Norse mythology when it comes up on Jeopardy. I won't be able to
2: get that mnemonic device out of my skull except with an electric drill (laughs) (laughs) to stop your voice.
1: Unlike modern Christian hell where the wicked and non-believers but I repeat myself, uh, go, or even in Hades, where everyone goes, Helheim is reserved for both the wicked and the sick and elderly. Oh. Of course. In Norse culture, the only way to avoid a boring eternity in Helheim is to die valiantly on the battlefield and be selected by the Valkyries to be brought back to uh, Valhalla, Valhalla to prepare for the final battle. One of the delightful ironies of this, of course, is that you're a good enough warrior that you survive your many battles and live to old age, you end up going to hell when you die.
2: Could this wow. be a Dar- uh, sort of a Darwinian mecha- – no joke here – to like eliminate having to take care of like injured and sick people I, to encourage them to go out and get their head chopped
1: I off? And- th- absolutely. I, I think there is uh, some real truth to that. So the goal is to be just good enough to die in battle heroically but not to survive battle, OK? <laughs> you want your side to win with your heroic sacrifice. But you don't want to I can see. I can see
2: now the long meeting table at the at the Norse uh, guild of like, you know, policies. Uh, isn't this like the – shut up. <laughs> <laughs> isn't this like the worst strategy ever? Well, yeah. That's
1: why they got involved in a lot of battles that uh, didn't end so well for them. <laughs> um, Hell and the citizens of Helheim will also play an important role in the final battle of Ragnarok, though very much on the opposite side. Uh, she and her father Loki will take a ship of the dead out of Helheim, and her zombie army, along with fire giants, frost giants, and other forces of evil, will t- take on Odin and his army of fallen heroes. They may be a motley crew, but what they lack in strength, they more than make up for in sheer numbers. So at least they, it, it's like any zombie force,
0: right? This is way better than Christianity.
1: Totally, you know? <laughs> Man, if you put this is a TV pilot. Ragnarok up against Revelation. Ragnarok is so much more fun, okay? Without question. <laughs> In the end, of course, no one wins, um, and the world tree burns and then sinks into the sea. Then, and only then, will many of the fallen gods be reborn, which leads to a new heaven and a new earth much like Revelation. There's even a lake of fire in all of that. Hmm. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Christians stole their ideas from the Norse because um, the Norse stories, which we get from the the poetic and and prosettis, were written well after the Christians showed up in these countries. So these are influenced more than anything by Christian mythos. So after this new heaven and new earth, um, some of the gods are reborn, and hell is presumably no longer needed in this idyllic world, something out of a Rob Bell sermon. So there there you have it. That's hell, goddess of the dead, and just one more god worth not believing in. Um, so that's going to do it for us this week, our little journey to hell and back.
0: See you in hell. Checkmate, atheists. <laughs>
1: Now, for almost what two and a half three years now we've had the same logo and getting cool. kind of tired and boring getting a little, little stale although we do love it Thank you Mary for making it for us all those many years ago um, so now we're we're going to have a contest where the prizes will be uh, not extravagant um, we haven't worked out the details of what the prizes will be um, but those of you out there who have all sorts of graphic designing skills or know how to use Photoshop, we're looking for a new logo for the show. If you want to come up with something and email it into to us at doubtcast at gmail.com. Um, what we will do eventually is post the, uh, we'll narrow down the entries to the top, Probably 10 or so, depending on how many we get. (laughs) Um, We'll post those on our forum, forum, doubtcast.forummotion.net. Where you, the listener, can vote on which one you like best. Oh, no. We're leaving it up to them. No, we're not leaving it up to them. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this
2: is a Middle Eastern pseudo-democracy, not a real <laughs> right, democracy. Right, you exactly. can vote, we but get them it's the illusion uh, of choice. They
1: get a vote to say, hey, this is the one we like. We take that and into Dave consideration. And then uh, the three of us and Jeremy will pick a final um, choice for the logo We'll have You know First, second, third place And there will be prizes Including probably things like A t-shirt with a new logo on it And that sort of thing Now If you want a t-shirt With the old logo my on new, it And my
0: newest pop album
1: and, will Yes Will also
0: be included
1: Yes <laughs> Justin Justin Schieber Never say always Um <laughs> So if you want to get one of the traditional logos, uh, log on to Zazzle.com slash DoubtCast and get one uh, before they're gone. So uh, in the meantime, get working on those logos, those of you who are interested. Um, Write us a review on iTunes. uh, Suggest the show to a friend.
0: And email us with with, uh, challenges.
1: Yes, we we do like those and we've gotten a few good we've ones gotten a really recently. good one recently that I yeah wanna, we have hopefully uh, we can address soon. Yes maybe on our next episode in fact which will be coming to you in just two short weeks and uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more reasonable doubts your skeptical guide to religion.